0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that pontificates on the issues of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories with David Campbell, including Toyota puts the brakes on self-driving car development for now. Brian Smith and Errol Smith join us for the whole program to discuss a couple of serious issues predicting the future and what it means for managing transport options and fleet departments, and Uber's autonomous car has been involved in a fatality. How will this change our progression to fully autonomous vehicles? And in our panel discussion with Brian and Errol, we take a look in good spirits at some quirky news stories, including the cool trick from the car industry that could make bacon less carcinogenic. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now to begin the program, let's have the news.
1: Ferrari's Sebastian Vettel struck the first blow in the Formula One Championship fight as he held off defending world champion Lewis Hamilton to win the Australian Grand Prix as he did a year ago. It was a painful setback for Hamilton as a miscalculation by the Mercedes Garage under virtual safety car rules allowed Vettel to snatch the win away. Ferrari teammate Kimi Raikkonen was third and local boy Daniel Ricciardo fourth in a Red Bull. It was a good day for McLaren as they completed their first race with Renault Power. Two-time world champion Fernando Alonso finished an impressive fifth. The next race is in Bahrain. The Uber test car involved in a fatal crash in Arizona may not be at fault according to the local police chief. The police chief suggested that the impact between a pedestrian and a Volvo XC90 equipped with self-driving technology couldn't have been avoided even by the human backup driver inside the vehicle. Arizona police have viewed footage from two of the vehicle's cameras, and based on the footage, it was suggested that the driver had little time to react. Meanwhile, Toyota says it is halting testing of its autonomous car technology following the collision. Toyota has paused on-road development of its chauffeur autonomous system on all public roadways, citing the potential emotional effect on its human drivers. The company has not made it clear how long the break-in testing will last or whether or not they will be reviewing their own technology. Renault Australia is preparing to offer its fully electric Zoe light hatch and Kangoo ZE compact van to private buyers through select dealers as the company builds up its EV or electric vehicle presence in anticipation of what the company sees as a big shift with all new models notably SUVs coming early next decade. The French brand has primarily targeted fleet buyers however a positive response to the Zoe in particular has prompted the company to expand into retail purchasing. In overall market terms, just 1,100 electric vehicles were sold in Australia last year, with two-thirds of these corporate purchases and the remainder to private buyers. This year, 195 electric vehicle sales have been recorded after two months of trading. In the US, Mercedes-Benz recently announced that it will join a host of other automakers launching car subscription services and will launch Mercedes Flexperience. The service's premise is similar to other car subscription services from brands including Porsche, Cadillac and Volvo. For one monthly rate, Mercedes-Benz will include the option to subscribe to up to 12 different cars per year and the rate includes insurance, maintenance, repairs and even tyre wear. Subscribers will be able to drive for up to 36,000 km per year. Mercedes will also allow subscribers to pick out exactly what they want in their cars. Powertrain, exterior colours and features will all be customisable ahead of the vehicle's delivery. Mercedes-Benz will launch Flexperience in the United States and expand to additional markets at a later date. No date has been set for the Australian launch if it ever makes it here. Plans are brewing within the halls of Bentley for its own derivative of the Porsche Mission E J1 platform. The latest information suggests the car could be a four-door coupe. Bentley has ruled out an all-electric SUV at the moment, as Bentley's design director said the model should convey a certain coupe style or sportivity, and also a certain elegance. If a four-door coupe is in Bentley's future, Both the Mission E and the recently teased Audi e-tron GT may provide hints as to what direction the British luxury brand could take with its own four-door electric coupe. And that has been the news. Well, uh, welcome everyone.
2: Uh, Brian Smith here. You normally hear me only in the quirky stories, but uh, I thought we'd take a look at a couple of serious stories and, and... um, certainly, one in particular, David, you gave uh, the opening keynote speech to the Institute of Professional Works Engineers conference uh, up in the Gold Coast. And uh, the topic of your talk was about a forward look into the Australian vehicle market and the fleet industry. So, I guess the big question for me is what did they expect they were going to get from David Brown on that topic?
0: Yeah, good day, Brian. And uh, Errol joins us too. Good day, Errol.
3: Good day, David. Brian.
0: It's a case where I think they probably thought that uh, given that we uh, wrote test cars and things that we might do a bit of a rundown now that Holden and Ford and Toyota have left the market in homegrown products and what that might mean to the fleet industry. In other words, what the industry might be doing for the fleet industry and how it might affect them. I didn't want to take that approach. I mean, car companies are doing a whole pile of spectacular things, but that's not the real point. It's not just the technology, it's really how we use it. Well, everyone's talking about disruption, David, and um, how did you approach this? My approach was to say, in essence, technology is just a tool, it's not a goal. It's not as if you know having the technology means everything's fine, it's the way we adapt to it. It's the way in which we say, well, this is technology, how can we go and say something more than just how do i apply it in my existing situation how am i going to adapt and what's going to happen that will be disruptive it's not just a case of autonomous vehicles there's a whole different range of disruptions that can happen and and i think will happen
2: i was at a a workshop uh, the other day talking about autonomous vehicles and and the speaker talked about two things he said um anything that's inconvenient will be addressed by technology and anything that can be automated will be automated. But our problem I suppose is we is predicting this, isn't it understanding where things are going.
3: How do we predict the, the future of what might happen because we don't we can't necessarily know what technology is coming.
0: No, but we also have to go beyond just saying there'll be technology, but how will we use it? Well, you've heard a million of these projections. The world will only need six computers. I made the point about the first mobile phones, which were heavy bricks and were thought to be the toys of executives. And PricewaterhouseCooper predicted that by the year 2000, we would need 92,000 mobile phones made each year. The reality is we're doing that every two days. And what we missed out to understand was that while they may look like an executive toy, the tradesman and the school child and everybody can, re- and the parents can really benefit from that. The tradesman needs it far more than a guy who has a landline in his office. The tradesman who's out on the site. And so we didn't make the step. We're not good at predicting the future. I referred to some classical representations in the world of art, the Jetsons. <laughs> which were a projection of the future, which was exactly what we do now, only up in the air and without trees. They even had freeways they he controlled a car that polluted and he had one person in it and he went on a freeway and they even had a, a policeman directing traffic i mean there was nothing about the future there what you see your point i think brian you raised was what we tend to do is we tend to take what we do now and think the future will just be about mechanizing computerizing or robotizing it and it will be part of that but then again that whole point you made about what do we have now that's inconvenient how might we apply that and how might that change our very cities and the way we live Mm. and of course
2: David uh, one of the big uh, things that's happening is the idea of sharing and uh, this idea of mobility as a service rather than uh, mobility uh, you know, as a, a as a product, a, yeah. as a product or, or owned mobility,
0: uh, is that likely to change things in the the Australian fleet industry? Mobility as a service, mass, could change that completely, where you no longer provide a vehicle, but you provide access to mobility. And a whole pile of companies may well provide you with packages where they will own some cars, some electric bikes, some passes for using on public transport, maybe some scooters. And we'll talk about that later. The point about it is they might then say, oh, no, no, the car is king. Now, when I graduated and first worked and was seconded to a bit of a think tank area in government, there was a guy there who had really worked in understanding people. And he said, you will never get public transport as good as cars until you'll be able to fart on public transport <laughs> without offending anyway. Well, it, it, you know, he was joking, but it's gone beyond that now. See, you might think, oh, well, a car's quicker. Well, it might not be. If a single person in a car gets low priority on the road, it might be a lot slower. Mm. Yes. It might be shorter. Well, no. What's happening now And in Sydney, there's a new bridge that links uh, great area roads and where you used to work, Brian. Yes, over to the the area where there's a lot of units across the bay. It's a big, beautiful arching bridge. It doesn't allow cars on it. It only allows buses and cycling and walking, let alone one-way streets and all that, that may mean the car isn't the shortest distance. And it Mm. may not be the quickest by any means. And it certainly may not be the cheapest because we might start taxing it. So, This whole idea of, you know, the tough old guy running a fleet of vehicles is going to be replaced by this idea of mobility, that we might provide it. One of the things I did say there was that you then get companies that may provide all these services, but you've got to watch that they don't become gatekeepers. Now, a gatekeeper then gets to control who uses the system, and it's obviously to their profitability as to who they get to use the system. So if we allow Amazons or whoever or Ubers or Lyfts to get a huge dominance in the market, when fleet managers buy a package, they have to think about what might be the consequences if those people become dominant and therefore become gatekeepers. Uber, yes, it's fantastic, except when you get surge pricing. Yes. And of course, David, one of the key issues here, I think, that that will emerge is the
2: idea of branding. And and uh, I mean, Qantas, for example, has a loyalty program that in, that extends way beyond air travel. Hmm. And there's no reason why you couldn't imagine that Qantas may decide, well, you know, you fly with us and you'll also have the the mobility that gets you from the airport to um, yep. to your destination. So the question hmm. then is, what are you signing up to? Are you choosing? I'm a, I'm a Qantas mobility person. I'm, a, I'm yes. a Mercedes-Benz mobility person. And I suppose... It, the different offers and benefits and disbenefits of these will be really tricky to kind of, uh, to, to work out. We, you know, if you look at different mobile phone plans, they're deliberately complicated yes. um, in order so that you can't easily compare them. So I could see the same sort of thing happening in the mobility as a service market. And it may not be all that consumer friendly or as simple as people understand, because in the end, promotion of a brand or, or getting your loyalty and understanding everything that you do is of huge value to certain companies
0: the last time i flew business class overseas um, it was very nice to sit in a bit more room and have all the powerpoints and things and the odd uh, nicer meal or drinks delivered to you but you know what i really liked you got priority at the customs when you we went through bangkok i don't think i saved a couple of hours you know the queue to get through there for others was just horrendous so you know that's an example of that thing so We uh, gave the talk um, a little bit different, but uh, they seemed happy, and uh, we prompted some thought. That's the important thing, David. After the break, Errol, you might want to take up a subject for us.
3: You're listening to Overdrive. David, we've recently seen Uber have a fatal crash in uh, one of their autonomous cars. So I'm wondering, how will this change our attitude to uber and autonomous cars
0: i don't think it'll be an all or nothing approach i don't think it'll stop it but i do think that it might mean that we're getting back to a more realistic understanding that it's not that motoring utopia that we thought it might be and i don't think just this event is causing us to do that i think there's a whole pile of things do you think we're getting a more rational approach to
3: what it might mean for us in the future I think so, yeah. But uh, I think we're going to see more. I think it's going to be slowed down by regulation because anytime you have any kind of accident, uh, the government wants to get involved and get in the way and increase the amount of red tape. So I think it's going to it's going to push it back, even if the technology really is ready and is infinitely safer than a human behind the wheel. It's still going to be to be delayed by uh, by government regulation.
2: It's an interesting challenge here in that. Um it's it's clearly a failure of um, detection of the detection, the lidar and things like that in order to for the vehicle to be able to detect a threat. So a couple of ways this could go here. It's um, I could see the, the Uber saying, well, look, you know, our system isn't perfect. We need therefore to attach other detection devices to pedestrians and cyclists. And I think there's a risk there that that uh, in order to make autonomous vehicles work that uh, Uber and companies like that will push for less autonomy for pedestrians and cyclists. I think there's a real risk there. The other side of this is there's been a couple of people killed, and this was, I think, the first truly autonomous um, fatality from another road user. But with just Arizona has a thousand-person road toll per annum. So um even if a few people are killed by autonomous vehicles an overall benefit is road safety because human error uh, accounts for 90 odd percent of uh, of crashes.
0: If you mm. don't like the idea of this person dying I don't obviously but if you think it's a, a game breaker then you've got to stop manufacturing motorbikes. Ah yes yeah. <laughs> yes. it's a, it's a pro- yeah if you were to bring in a motorbike now design it if it hadn't been designed you brought it in now would it get approved I I think perhaps not. And, I mean, you go way back to the first pedestrian that was knocked down and killed by a car in the UK. The judge said, this is a terrible event and I hope it will never happen again. <laughs> now, mm. I, you know, I'm not diminishing the, the sadness and the tragedy for that family. Every train system, you know, there's been deaths on trains, buses, planes, yet we will move to it. I was at another conference and um, they talked about the Gartner scale of technology or technological hype. And after you get that first flush of great, you know, enthusiasm, you then tend to hit the trough of disillusionment. And I think to some degree, autonomous vehicles are going through that disillusionment that it's not that utopian dream that we thought it was going to be. But I don't think that'll stop us. Well, the challenge, of course, is transition
2: and the gradual introduction of these things. Interestingly, it appears that some of the earliest uses for full autonomy are going to be in um, like long haul truck travel. Mm. So, you know, long distance trucks without a driver carrying very big loads. And these are, you know, things that a lot of people are frightened of on the road, Uh, buses and public transport, but mining trucks have been autonomous for more than a decade in Australian mines. I'm not sure that there's many mines, if any, in this country or
0: around the world where those gigantic trucks are driven by humans. The other thing is, I think that's corridors. I think that if you try and make a car that will cope with anything, anywhere, anytime, you've got a huge task. But if you do it in a corridor where the dimensions and the situation of it is clearly defined and perhaps clearly measured, you know, the skid resistance is, is readily measured.
3: And more predictable.
0: Yes, absolutely. Does this mean though no, that we're going to have uh, separate
2: roads for autonomous vehicles and 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 separate them from pedestrian movements and, and other
0: movements? I don't think I don't think we push autonomous vehicles in the sense of you or I in the car. I think we push it as Adelaide has done. Adelaide just did their, redid their plan number 1 priority was transport corridors. Number 8 was transport. <laughs> so I don't want to push the idea that you or I will be able to go door to door easily. I think the thing is that there should be corridors. There should be a transit-type function in that corridor. Brian, you've got the story of Uber inventing the bus again. In other words, and you've talked a Mm -hmm. number of those things, that... That we get them working in a corridor rather than thinking you can go anywhere, anytime. So you might have to do a bit of walking, you might have to do the odd bit of changing, but you can do it in an efficient manner and be able to give priority to those vehicles. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. After the break, gentlemen, why don't we talk some quirky news? Great right you. idea. You're listening to Overdrive. And we're back again with Brian Smith and Errol Smith. Uh, Gentlemen, thanks again for your time. Now, bacon. Do you like bacon? And uh, (laughs) are you concerned that it's carcinogenic? No.
2: I I love bacon. I'm wondering where you're going with this in a a program about transport.
0: I think bacon is often a a smoky type uh, uh, food that's been smoked or, you know, had that sort of chemicals that come into it, which are primarily polyaromatic hydrocarbons which of course have the potential of being carcinogenic don't get too carried away foods a lot of foods have it some more some less now to get rid of those you can often filter them out of which cars have developed and car manufacturers have developed that technology quite well so have water filtration systems so these pahs are a bit of a problem particularly where you then can get things like zeolites which can filter them out so the filtering systems that we use in cars might well be able to apply to the cooking process for bacon do you see this changing the world of food (laughs)
3: as long as 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 long as my bacon doesn't come with a a mild catalytic converter aftertaste
2: (laughs) that's right and as long as it's not made by vw in which case you who knows what you're getting
0: well they promised to make one and it's unbelievable in what it can do (laughs) (laughs) you could then have prius bacon couldn't you i'm not sure if that's as uh enticing it might be your your Weber barbecue will come with a huge muffler on the side
2: uh, yeah i guess the the prius one would be more like um tofu would it like Tofu bacon. <laughs> yes,
3: be, be hybrid bacon <laughs>
0: <laughs> well they can make seaweed tasting like bacon now the other thing though is if it filters it out could you do it while it dry brian you've often mentioned cooking on the motor hmm. Yes, yeah, it's a great idea.
2: I think you could cook the sort of uh, anti-carcinogenic bacon in the engine bay of a very carcinogenic vehicle, as long as it wasn't a diesel.
3: And would <laughs> would, would would the smoke that that's, that's cooking your food share the catalytic converter with the exhaust? That's the part <laughs> that concerns me. Uh, If you
0: did cook bacon, you wouldn't need an odorizer in your car. You'd have that smell of bacon, wouldn't you? Ah, the bacon smell, that new bacon smell. Mm. Fantastic. To every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. We've seen it against the Prius with guys with big V8 diesel pickups in America, and what they call burning coal, isn't it? Rolling coal. Rolling Rolling rolling, coal. Rolling rolling coal. uh, Where they actually intentionally make a lot of smoke and have stickers on their back of their cars called prius repellents so yeah maybe it might do it uh, it's uh, been the case that car manufacturers have had some bad press maybe this might save their bacon oh, well, oh, done, well, well done david <laughs> <Football. laughs> brian this is a subject that i have dwelt on many times but you have a new angle to it certainly david this is about
2: the difficulty of driving cars and uh, uh a, a woman in uh, st cloud minneapolis uh Who'd parked her car at the Walmart? She started it remotely in order to warm it up, and somebody took the opportunity while the car was driving, to, running, to jump in and drive it away. However, when they stopped, the person found they couldn't start the car again, and ended up calling somebody who got in touch with the owner, who to, to ask the question, how how can with the can I start this car, please? Police responded arrested Leroy Wilson or Edward Leroy Wilson's 37-year-old car thief about an hour's drive away. And the difficulty of um, of driving the lady's car was what uh, got him caught.
3: How did he get the owner's number?
2: (laughs) It's it's not clear from the story. He apparently was speaking to somebody saying, "Do, do you know how to start this car? And then she rang somehow. the rang the owner on the phone. Yeah, and, maybe it's uh,
3: maybe it's uh, on track or one of those other the sort of help services that oh yes, are built in. yes, maybe Some of maybe, those, yes. uh, US cars.
0: Or you had a very unusual car and you rang a mate and said, "How on earth do I start this Citroen D3?" And they said, oh, "I don't know, but I know someone who owns one." And they said, "Yeah, got it." it yeah, Mary mention... down the
2: street's got one of those. <laughs> had one it got stolen it doesn't say what sort of vehicle it is but but the idea of starting your car from inside the wall and then walking
0: out later to get into it that seems like an accident waiting to happen doesn't it this is one where you can start the car you shouldn't be able to get into it but you could cool it down or warm it up or you know get it working beforehand so that Mm. when you get into it it's rather comfortable
3: forget the pollution that it might cause it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a fault if it if it unlocks the car as soon as you start it. But
2: well, I guess I can understand it's probably pretty cold there, uh, you know, that this time of year, the sort of new year, it's freezing cold winter. So I guess maybe, yes, you, you might want to warm the car up or even warm the interior. But,
0: yeah, or maybe she just left it unlocked. No, I believe the, the system's working correctly. It won't unlock the car until you get there, but it will mm. start it in doing that. Uh, of course, a complex car then may become better than an electronic alarm, and of course, it doesn't annoy the neighbours. Oh, okay. And uh, maybe with modern digital systems in the car, you could code in idiosyncrasies. Oh, okay. Ah, quirks. Right, yeah. So you had to bang the side of the car and whistle Dixie before it would start.
2: Or like an old Jaguar, you'd have to spend (laughs) five minutes checking the oil, checking fuel levels inside the carburetors, checking the header tank, you know, going through about a, a 30 minute
3: checklist before you start the thing. Yeah, and cock, cock your head to the right and and um <laughs> hold and, your and, tongue and, a particular and, way. And hold your tongue a particular way as you turn the key. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I quite like the idea, particularly as a parent, where you might stop the children. So you code in there that they have to answer a maths question before <laughs> the car will start. Or oh, tell you what they're doing and where they've been. <laughs> 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 Gentlemen, always are lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time for the whole program. You're welcome, David. That's Brian Smith and Errol Smith here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.